0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: The Bible tells us that there's a battle going on inside of you. The flesh battling against the spirit. The flesh wanting the things of the flesh and the spirit wanting the things of God so that each one of us has this desire to do something sinful, but we also have the desire to do what God wants us to do. And there's a battle that goes on inside of us. And we have died to sin, meaning that you should no longer give into it. If we're dead to sin, and we're not going to have the ultimate consequence of sin, then
0: we should not be giving in to sin now. We will struggle between our flesh and our spirit for the rest of our days here on this earth, but. When we die to ourselves and allow God to truly work in us and change us, hopefully we gain great ground in that battle day by day. We gain strength and we pick up our cross. How do we do this? With more on Jesus' message to his disciples out of Mark chapter eight, here's Robert Furrow.
1: What shepherd would leave the 99 and go after the one? You You gotta protect the 99. But Jesus says, you're so important, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the one. And Jesus came after me. And when I recommitted my life to Christ, I said, okay, God, I'm done. Whatever you want, that's what I want. I had been wrestling with God like Jacob for all of those years. And even when I was backslidden, and when I, it was a surrender, it was like, okay, God, I'm finished whatever you want. What's really funny is that in my mind when I said that, it was like, whatever you want, difficulties, hardships, whatever. Not what I want, all this greatness, but whatever you want. What I didn't realize is that what I wanted compared to what God wanted was so radically different. And of course, what I gain is far more than what happens here on this earth. It's all of eternity. But as Christians, it's not about just being comfortable. It's not about never suffering. It's not about not having tribulation. It's not about not being persecuted. It's about being, well, the Bible uses a couple of, analog, of analogies. It's like being an athlete who competes to win the prize. Who doesn't box as if, Paul says, I don't box like I'm boxing in the air. I'm serious about this. He says, good soldiers don't entangle themselves in the things of the world. And that's what we as Christians are supposed to do. We have a call, we have a purpose, we have a cause. And it's much more than just being comfortable. It's much more than just saying, well, I'm going to give my life to Christ so I, can, so I can have my fire insurance paid. Listen, I don't think it's a bad thing to have, your, to have fire insurance paid. I think it's a good thing. It, you, you know, you, you, when you die, you know you're going to be in the presence of God. But that's not all that Christianity is. God isn't just checking the box. Ah, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. There's another one. God's transforming, God's empowering, God's filling you with the Holy Spirit. And so it says, when he had, verse 34, when he called uh, the people to himself, his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As I said, this is the unveiling. A little bit later on, Jesus will say it over and over again. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. He had said earlier, the Son of Man must suffer. It's a must. It wasn't an option. The Son of Man, it was written about him already. He must suffer. You as a disciple must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. And remember, when Jesus tells them this, this is in the middle of his ministry. They see crucified people all the time, but Jesus himself has not been crucified. The cross was not the symbol that it is today. You say, well, I carry my cross. I got a cross on my necklace that I wear. I have a ring that has a cross on it. The only ring, I I have a ring from my dad. Some of of the few things that I have from my dad, it's a ring with a a cross on it. You have your eyebrow ring with a little cross on it. So I'm carrying my cross. Of course, that's not what it means. It means that you are, that that your life is over. When someone carried their cross, they were, they were convicted. Then they carried their cross and they were executed. It would be like walking death row now. Like you're convicted and they're gonna give you lethal injection, you're gonna kill you. And so the time comes, they come and they get you out of your cell and they flank you with two guards and you walk down, you walk to the room where they strap you in and they give you a lethal injection. So while you're walking down that road, your life is done. You're you're a dead man walking, right? That's what Jesus was saying. But he didn't say, take up your cross and go out and get crucified. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Come to the end of your life and follow me. What does it mean to die to yourself? I I think there's three different things. First of all, it means that we have died with Christ in the past. When he was on that cross, he died. We die to ourselves because when we receive him as a savior, we literally die with him. The Bible says in Romans chapter six, you have been crucified with Christ and you are dead to sin because you you have died with him. He died and because he died, death no longer has authority in your life because he identified with you and he was a substitute for you. Just think about that. The consequences of sin. I'm not saying they're all gone. Sin is sin sin because it's inherently immoral. Sin isn't sin just because God decided, I need to say something is sin. So I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to make that sin. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine because in that is, um, what does it say? Um, What's the word that it uses? In that is, I can't remember the word, but don't be drunk with wine. Getting drunk has inherent problems with it. And so God doesn't want you to get drunk. Bearing false witness against somebody is inherently evil. When you say, I saw somebody do something when they didn't do it, when you slander somebody, that's inherently evil and it hurts people. And that's why it's sin. So sin has consequences. The ultimate sin of consequences, the ultimate consequence of sin is that when you die, you're you're separated from God forever. You're going to die spiritually, not just physically. But when Jesus takes that that death for you on the cross, now the ultimate consequence of death is gone. When I die, I'm going to live. Sin killed me, but Jesus brought me back to life because I died with him at the cross. Death has, has been removed from my life because Christ died for me and I died with him. I have been crucified with Christ," the Bible says. "The life that I now live, I live for Him. I live for the Son of Man." That's what, that's what Paul wrote. "To die to yourself also means that you've died to sin. And, and this means that it doesn't mean that we don't have a sin nature anymore. I wish it did. Trust me, I wish it did. I wish that when we were born again, suddenly it's like, whoops, sin nature's gone. I I just want, I want to be passionate for Jesus and I just want all the joy and good. And I just don't want to struggle with sin anymore. But the Bible tells us that there's a battle going on inside of you. The flesh battling against the spirit. The flesh wanting the things of the flesh and the spirit wanting the things of God so that each one of us has this desire to do something sinful. But we also have the desire to do what God wants us to do. And there's a battle that goes on inside of us. And we have died to sin, meaning that you should no longer give into it. If we're dead to sin and we're not going to have the ultimate consequence of sin, then we should not be giving in to sin now. We're going to when we go and we ask for forgiveness. We understand that. But we should be allowing God to work those things out of our lives. Finally, what it means to die to yourself is that you no longer are living for yourself. When I came back at 19 years old and I prayed that prayer, okay, God, I'm done. What was I saying? I'm, I'm done living my life. I'm giving up my plans, my desires, my mode. whatever I want to do, I'm laying it all down. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And you say, well, that should be, you know, something taught at a pastor's conference, because when you become a pastor, that's what should happen. No, no, we as pastors are meant to equip you for the work of the ministry. You are called by God to lay down your life. Have you done that? Have you denied yourself? have you said whatever plans desires i have i'm going to give them up now and lord i want to pick up whatever you want for me what do you what do you want i i give in whatever you want for me that's what i want my life is yours i will now live it for you And so we learn God's Word. We allow the Spirit to lead us and guide us. We open up ourselves for God to use us in the world that we have. We listen to His direction and we see where God takes us. And He's able to do that. And that's what He means when He says to them that they, uh, the Son of Man, must suffer and die, but they themselves must also um, deny themselves, pick up the cross and follow Him. And then it says... Verse 35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The, the person who says, I don't want to follow Christ. I want to live my own life. I want to live my life for me. will end up losing their life. They will die and they will perish. They will, they will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. If you seek to, to, to keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you gain it. The person who says it's no longer me that lives, now you've discovered the life that God has planned for you and for the gospel's sake, and that's our call. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power of salvation. Years ago, we had our, and we're we're ready in October to have our 35th anniversary for the church at the end of October. When we had our 20th anniversary, Troy had put together, he found some old videos that we had, and he put them together. One of them was something we used to do called Straight Ahead. We would have, we would play music videos at midnight. And we would have people that would stay up and answer the phones. We brought phone lines into the church and people would answer the phones. In between there, there would just be little blurbs. If you need prayer, call this number. And on every show, I did a little gospel spot from downtown. very obvious in an alley downtown or out in front of just a downtown building. And I just gave an invitation to the gospel. And Troy said, come here, you gotta see this. And he played it and it is exact altar call I still do today. He was like, this is 20 years later and and your message hasn't changed. Your message is identical to what, and I, I got these big round glasses on, I got a helmet hair. It's the 80s. It's the middle of the 80s. You know, I got a mustache on I, and I'm not even quite sure what that mustache was all about. Just a mustache. No little flavor safer. Nothing to give it like attitude. It's just a mustache. Big round glasses, mustache, helmet hair. But I'm given the message of the gospel. And we've stuck with that same message because that's what transforms people. And that's what our lives are about. When we put on the armor of God, our feet are, are prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere that we go, the gospel goes with it and it, it with us. And that's what saves people. And the thing is, we never know when the seeds that we plant or the watering that we're going to do are going to take effect. And so whoever desires to save their life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. And then he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. In another place he says that a man would give everything in the world for his soul. One of the things that I wanted to do and didn't get around to it today was to look up the GDP of the world. I kind of know what the GDP of the United States is. I kind of know what the GDP of Russia is, of China. I've looked researched them a little bit, but I wonder what the GDP of the world is. I wonder what, what the value of the world is in trillions. What do you think it is? The GDP of the United States is around 20 trillion, 17 trillion, I think. What do you think? The GDP of the world's got to be 200 trillion, 250 trillion, something like that. That would be my guess, just a guess. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of trillions. I think Apple and Microsoft are both worth a trillion dollars. Would you give up 250 trillion? Would you give up the world for your soul? Of course you would. Because what do you have if you don't have your soul? A man would trade whatever he has for his soul. You would give everything away for your soul. What's the value of your soul? For you, it's the entire world. Are you gonna receive the world and lose your soul? No, a man will give up anything he has for it. What's the value of your soul? It's incredibly valuable. What a statement by Jesus. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We would give everything. Then he says in verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. Now, this information from Jesus is not typical altar call material and you may hear it once in a while you may hear somebody say if you seek to, loo- to save your life you're going to lose it you may hear somebody say you got to deny yourself pick up your cross and follow him you may hear somebody say you've got to count the cost but it's rare Mo- most of the time in altar calls and, and, and me as well most of the time it's like hey listen you can give your life to Christ you can have your sins forgiven God's got a plan for you God's got a purpose he's got a call for your life you can discover why you were made but Jesus is laying it out for them Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Maybe there's some people who would would go, I wouldn't have raised my hand if I'd known that from the beginning. Why don't you give us that information up front? I don't want to change my life. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to pick up my cross. I don't want to live my life, the rest of my life now for for Jesus. Well, that's what he's asking every one of us to do. You know, it's interesting to me, and you find this a lot, there is, um, and this is in closing, but the, um, in the, uh, let me get there. I'm, I'm awful at uh, talking. So you find this a lot in the Gospels, that the Gospels are not necessarily in chronological order. There's some chronology to it, right? It can't be denied. The birth of Jesus is in the beginning of them. The death of Jesus is at the end of them. So there's some chronology. But the rest of it, as you study the different Gospels, the chronology is all kind of chopped up. There's things that happen before and after in each one of them. And that's because to the Hebrew mind and Hebrew writers, they put stories together to make a point. When you're reading something and you want to know, what does this mean? You're really trying to figure out, what does it mean? Look at what is said before it and after it in the text. Oftentimes you can find information and go, oh, I I understand it better now. It's one of the principles in Bible study that when you're really trying to understand a text, look at the context. Look in front, look in after. Especially the Gospels, look at the story they tell before and the story that they tell after. They might be out of order and they might be coupled together or sometimes three of them together to be able to make a point. And I think that here that the disciples have a certain amount of vision of who Jesus is and then Jesus goes, let me open up your eyes right now. The Son of Man is going to suffer and die. I'm the Messiah and I'm going to suffer and die. It's like he just cleared up their vision. You guys have one idea of what Christianity is or what being a disciple is? I'm going to tell you what it really is. But look at the account that's here before it. Look at verse 22. It says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him that he would touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. This is the only person that Jesus ever healed that he did it in stages. He spits in his his eyes, which is kind of a gross way to heal somebody. Certainly isn't social distancing. And then he says, what do you see? I see men as trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he restored and he saw everyone clearly. Then he sent them away, saying to them, neither go into town nor tell anyone in the town. So here's the secrecy thing again, right? What's the very next verse? Then Jesus and his disciples went to the town Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus said, who do men say that I am? The disciples had been touched by Jesus. They saw, but they didn't see clearly. And Jesus cleared up their vision in the the account that takes place next. I, I wonder if God doesn't work that way in our life today. I wonder if it isn't time for us to see something clearly. We see, we're really, we're saved, we see. But it's not, God says, I have something, something more for you. I want you to see clearly. This was the unveiling. When Jesus started talking to them, they saw one thing. By the time it was done, they saw something completely different. They now knew that Christianity was different than anything that they ever thought. I want to see clearly what God wants from me and how God wants me to live. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this study that helps us to see what Christianity really is all about and what the Messiah was all about and how they had this misunderstanding of what the Messiah was going to do. And when he came on the scene, he did something entirely different. And Lord, we wonder if we don't have some misunderstandings in our lives about what you're going to do or how what we think that you're doing that you might not want to clear up, that you might not want to touch us again and take that fuzziness that we have away that we can see things clearly. And I thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for a couple of minutes. I'd like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. This won't take long. But I want to give you a chance, if you're here today, to surrender your life to Christ. Counting the cost, knowing that he's saying, if you are going to follow me, you deny yourself. You pick up your cross and you follow me. Knowing that you must give your life up. That when you receive Jesus, you have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer you that lives, but it is Christ that lives in you. And the life that you now live, you live for the Son of Man. That's what Paul said. I've been crucified with Christ. And the life I now live, I live for the Son of Man. And that's what he's looking for. Those who will give him a a total surrender and a total abandon. And if you're here today and you would like to invite Christ into your life, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. You say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow him. God bless you. That's great. Anyone else? Just raise your hand now. God bless you. Sir, that's awesome. Oh, God bless you. That's great. I'd like everybody, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. I don't know what kind of a plan God has for you. I don't know what kind of a purpose God has for you. But when you raise, and I don't know if you raise your hand if you're coming back to Him or you're coming to Him for the first time. God knows all of those things. But I do know that just like when I came to Him and came back to Him, God did a a wondrous work in my life and I believe God's going to do the same for you. There's a new believers table that's off to my right over against the wall. We've got a a new believers packet and a Bible we'd love to give you and help you to know where you can begin to read your Bible to begin this adventure uh, with Jesus. Um, I want to pray for you. We're going to pray for uh, those who, who need a miracle. And I want to pray for those who are struggling, maybe with addiction, maybe with, a, with a, some kind of a disorder, maybe with depression, maybe with stress or panic attacks. Um, I want to pray for you. And if you don't have any of those things, you don't need to be prayed for along those lines, then would you join me and pray for someone you know that's struggling? Let's lift them up before the Lord together. Father, first of all, we want to pray for those that need a miracle, whether that's a physical healing, whether it's some kind of a miracle over an injury, whether it's some kind of recovery that has to take place or a marriage that needs to be healed or a relationship or a financial miracle. Lord, you, you do miracles today. We pray that you would intervene. And I pray for those that are represented in this room and represented online, that you would do that miracle. I also pray with those that are struggling with personal things, maybe an addiction, maybe oppression or depression, maybe a disorder, maybe panic attacks, maybe stress. Lord, I pray that your peace would fall upon them right now in the name of Jesus. I pray you'd lift the darkness in the name of Jesus. I pray that they would be set free in the name of Jesus, that you would do the work inside of them. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May He lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.
0: We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.